I just want to introduce, and if you don't mind, Rabbi Berg, just mind. to share a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and then without further ado. Thank you. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Berg. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Shalom Aleichem. That's the, uh, the, the best possible introduction. To be, to be Rav Gav's standard. It's like, uh, we know each other, Rav Gav and I know each other now, almost 30 years. Wow. And he, he's become world famous. And uh, I Baruch Hashem have not. So the single greatest, soon, if only one day I could be as great as Rav Gav. That's a very sweet introduction. You always hear these things. You get to hear your eulogy very early when you come to... So uh, a short introduction. First of all, first of all uh, a very big thank you. I felt like when we spoke on the phone, I, I felt like I met a new best friend. Like, you no, know, like just your passion for this trip. I was so excited. I have no idea what I'm walking into today. Usually I know what, I walk, what I'm walking into. I have no idea what I'm, what I'm walking into today. But just... A group of missionaries. Yes. Sure, why not? But just your, your passion, your inspiration, the, the trip, how you speak about it, I was like, uh, I was so moved by that. A word about who I am? I don't know. That's a journey. I'm not sure. I'm still in the process of self-discovery. I was born in the five towns. Anybody here from the five towns? Where are you from? Northwood. Ah, that's Kimat Five Towns. It's, when, it's not technically. It's not technically five. <laughs> when I when, when I was growing up, it was like North Woodmere. That was like at the park, you know. But we didn't really. We looked down at North Woodmere. If I'm being honest, I'm, I'm a five towns boy, you know. Like, uh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was originally from Farakwa. Berg. I'm not related to. I, that's my mother. That was very quick. That was amazing levels of Jewish geography. That was amazing levels of Jewish geography. Uh, no, no. Your, your in-laws are or were? <laughs> that, that's a very different statement. Who are your in-laws? Sure, Rabbi Rubenshul, absolutely. I, it was a little bit before my time, 1950. It's like right. <laughs> it's right there. And how? Who's your husband? Sounds very familiar. And how do you know my mother? Wow. Yeah. Rabbi Arya Kohn? Rabbi Arya Kohn was my chavrusa. My oldest son is married to What a beautiful family, no? The whole Kohn family is such amazing people. This was, this is such, yeah, and what you, I'm so sorry, I can't hear you. Who's that? I've been out of the five towns for a long time, so I don't know everybody. 
this was the best way to meet a group. This is what Jews do. We sit, like, I just, I just got back from America a couple weeks ago. You know when you're walking, you ever walk through an airport and you see another Jew? You ever do the Jew nod? Yeah. You ever do the, it's just like a very quick, like. I feel like this was the expanded version of like a Jew nod. It was like. It's a beautiful thing we do together as a community. To say, who do you know? And we could do it very quickly. I could do LA, but only because I, I Baruch Hashem, have Talmidim. I go to LA every year, at least once or twice a year. Yeah. I guess by way of introduction, I said five towns and that was the end of that, so I'll skip where I'm from. But Mrs. Feld asked me, and I think this is also a very beautiful thing and says a lot about the mission that you're on. What do you want to talk about? Like, what gets you excited? What gets you juiced? What gets you pumped? First of all, I love that question because very often people come to me and say, we want you to speak about X. And it's fine. I'm I'm more than happy to speak about whatever people want. But I I, I love that you asked and you allowed me to bring myself here and whatever that means. So by way of introduction, I think the best way of introducing myself is that the thing I'm passionate about is vulnerability. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I think most people, when they talk about Purim, they talk about Simcha. Maybe they talk about from things. But I'd like to talk about less from things tonight. I'd like to talk today. I'd like to talk about what didn't go right in the Purim story. And maybe from that place to, to learn a little bit about ourselves and to learn a little bit about what Simchas Purim could be, maybe a different way of thinking about it. And then I think we said maybe at the end we're going to open it up to questions and answers. Okay. So three very quick questions. The Gemara tells us one of the reasons that we don't say Halal on Purim is because we remained servants of Achashverosh even after the salvation of Purim, even after we were not murdered. We still remained in a state of servitude. So if that's the case, it seems strange that we celebrate the Purim story. In other words, when it comes to Pesach, it makes sense. There was a a cheros, the Maral says that after the story of Pesach, a Jew could no longer be enslaved. The Hainu, even, even if we're placed in the worst possible situations in the world, it's not possible on an essential level to take a Jew into slavery. That happened on Pesach. So I understand the celebration of Pesach. We come, we have a beautiful Seder, we experience the Simchas Yantif. The story of Purim, in a certain way, it falls short. At the end, all that happened was we didn't get murdered. Even by our standards, where we celebrate pretty much anything, even by our standards, that's a low bar. We were about to get killed, we didn't. So what's the shot here that we have a Yantif, and not just any Yantif, but a Yantif that's la Yehudim Aysa'ira, v'simcha, v'sasam, v'ikar. This is the ultimate joyous day in the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur is only Kippurim, everybody knows. So what's this Simcha of Purim, especially because the servitude remained? The second question, which is along the same lines, but a little bit different, is the emotional response to not being killed is not joy. The emotional response is relief. Right? In other words... 
I'll share with you just a, uh, this is maybe emblematic, symptomatic of what it means to live in Eretz Yisrael. I was driving home on Thursday night, daily giving. Does anyone here know what daily giving is? Yeah. Daily giving was founded by my roommate. That's my claim to fame. That and I'm Rav Gav Standen. But other than that... <laughs> what do I do? I hang out in the yeshiva. The, uh, I, ha- I hang out in the yeshiva. That's what I do. The, um, what was that? That's nice. Where, where are you from? Months. Um, I, I, I left it was, it was like 11.30 12 o'clock at night I was driving on the highway the new highway that we have Bar Hashem and a motorcyclist pulled up next to me and they asked me to roll down my window and I did and he just asked me for directions I'll be honest with you I couldn't really hear him he was wearing a helmet the motorcycle was very loud so I just said I don't know and the light turned green at that second, then I drove off, and I realized I was having heart palpitations. And I started thinking to myself, like, the trauma of living in Eretz Yisrael sometimes is like, you can't roll down your window, and I'm driving along this new highway, it's 12 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking to myself, well, let's say it would have gone bad. At least they would have said that the last thing that I did is I went to a daily giving event, right? So it was like, and I'm literally, like, writing my own hespit in my head as I'm driving, and I'm reminding myself, nothing happened. An Israeli guy pulled up next to me in a motorcycle. Mamish, nothing happened. But there was a deep sense of relief. And then I told myself, don't, don't tell my wife. Just come home and say nothing. So, of course, when I came home and I told my wife. <laughs> anyone have that? Like, uh, yeah. this thing of no filter? This is my life. The, um, so I told my wife, and my wife was like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, but nothing happened. But there was a deep sense of relief. So on a communal level, on a nationwide level, we weren't killed. The, the emotional response should not have been joy. The emotional response should have been a deep breath of relief. Everybody's like, we avoided being massacred. But it's not the emotional response that we get. We're told, there's a sense of joy that's in the air. You could feel it. You could feel it. I, I don't, I'm sure it's like that in America. Also, just even here, you're walking in the streets, the beautiful weather. Just something, you're walking around, it's other. Everybody knows it's other. So there's something in the air, but it's not the emotional response we would have expected. And the last question, which is a sensitive question, at least for me, because I'm not a drinker, but this whole notion of Adelo Yada, and without making any commentary on what's evolved in the Jewish world, and there's plenty to say about that, but even if we left that out, the notion that a Jew gets drunk to the point where they have no das, to the point where we're no longer thinking. It seems to be the antithesis of everything we know about Judaism. We're always told to think, we're told to question, we're told to challenge all the assumptions, to understand things deeper. Adelo Yada doesn't appear to be something that would inspire us. And yet, and even with all of the mangling of that idea that happens especially with the kids in the community, but even the idea, what does it mean, Adelo Yada, what are we talking about over here? So I want to share with you an idea it's an idea that's very meaningful to me. I hope it'll be meaningful to you as well. <clears throat> what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu desire? What does he want? So the Medjish and Parshas Naso says, Nisave HaKadosh Baruch Hu lios lo yisbarach diri b'tachtonim. What God desires is to have a dwelling place in the world down below. 
So when you ask somebody, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu create the world? There's many, many answers given. There's many answers given in Kabbalah. There's many answers given in the Gemara. But the most essential reason, which is not a reason at all, is that Hashem has a desire. He has a taiva. There's something that He wants. And what does He want? He wants to have a home. It's these parshios. He wants to have a home in this world. There's a problem, though. If you think about it, there's a problem with this. And it's a problem that every one of us are familiar with in our marriages. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down into this world, is it going to be a world anymore? If God's presence is so clear, is so manifest, <coughs> it will be hard to see anything and not see Elokos. All you'll see is godliness. If you revealed the, the, the mask, if you took it off, and you said, what is this table? What is it really? It's an expression of the will of Hashem. So if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was really present in our lives, would there be a table? I'll put it to you a little bit differently, because this is the way I understand it. In marriage today, the biggest challenge that everybody's talking about, the buzzword in every single marriage, is codependency. And so for those of you that just did this, I really just want to acknowledge that you did it, and just to thank you for it. Those of you that just did this, that, little, that tiny little nod of, I understand what you're talking about, I just want you to know I'm with you. Yeah? The courage that it takes to do that little nod is not small. What does it mean? So codependency, and there's, there's many ways of expressing this. You can look at Melody Beattie, but the, what I understand it to be is it's possible to lose myself in this marriage to somebody else. So just because you want something doesn't mean I have to. I can choose to. I can participate. But I'm okay even if you are not okay. It's, as my wife says, being firmly planted on our own soil, capable of sharing our space with another. Can you say that again? Being firmly planted in your own soil, capable of sharing your space with another. The way that I like to think about it is the three rings of the Olympics. You're a ring. He's a ring. And that shared space, the space in between, that's where marriage occurs. Most people think like, I'm married, he's married. Which part? (laughs) Being firmly planted in your own soil, being capable of sharing your space with another. Right, so it's like, I'm a ring of the Olympics. I'm one ring. My wife is another ring. Your husband is another ring. There's a shared space. That's where marriage is. So it's, it's much less I'm married as I'm participating in the creation of this space. The moment I lose myself, I'm not participating in that space anymore because who's the me in this marriage? If your husband says something and you lose yourself to what he says, you lose yourself to what he does, then you're no longer okay. And then who's the you that's participating in that marriage? If you've you've become uprooted in my wife's language, I want to share with you Ashkafa. I came here today... It's always funny the way these things work out. And I, and I have this, these notes that I wrote. I just wanted to just have something on paper that I should know where I'm going. And I sort of kind of know how to get to Eishat Torah, but not exactly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the old city. You kinda, everyone just kind of like migrates. So you just figure like, I'll end up at Eish at some point. So I'm walking through the parking lot, and I see a Talmud from many years ago. And, I, and he happens to learn here in Asia now. And I said to him, I said, you, you know how to go to Asia. You're not happen, you don't happen to be heading to Asia now. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm heading to Asia. I think he's lying, by the way. But, he's, uh, but he took me to Asia. And on the way, he mentions to me, there's a boy who listens to some of the shirim that I give. 
I'm sure he would love to meet you. And, he, and, and, and Rebbe, he's a big fan. And I said, okay, but say they're fine. And sure enough, the boy comes downstairs to meet me just now. And, and, I t- and I'm doing this with Rishos. I'm doing this 100% with Rishos. And the boy came to me, and they were talking a little bit, and he says to me, my parents are going through a terrible divorce right now. And it was a short but a beautiful conversation. And what we spoke about was just because your mother is in a certain place, just because your father is in a certain place, just because they're asking you to be in a certain place in their relationship doesn't mean you have to be. Your job here is to create healthy boundaries, which will include both of your parents. Boundaries are not meant to push people out. Boundaries are meant to include people. So what he's, what he's going to do, what, what he's working on, and I think he's doing an amazing job of it, and I think he's an exceptionally special person, and I only just met him for a minute, but he's going to show up and say, this is where I am and I'm okay for myself as you guys are behaving and not necessarily the most appropriate way. Which, it's hard for us to expect people to go through a divorce in an, in an appropriate way because it's such, like, there's so much there. There's so much love and fear in the mix that it, it manifests itself in such a challenging way. But he has to be okay for himself. In a certain way, this is an exact model of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the world. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires to have a dwelling place in the world down below, then the world must remain a world. If it's not a world, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't get what he wants. He just overwhelmed us with his presence. Does that make sense? On the other hand, if the world doesn't become a place where he's invited in, where he's comfortable, then he doesn't get what he wants either. The job of a Jew, through doing mitzvot, through learning Torah, through doing chesed, through everything that we do in this world, through using the physical things in this world in an elevated way, in a holy way, is we're inviting HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be present in our lives. This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us. He wants there to be a world, and he wants to participate in it. Meaning, it's not impressive for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create a world. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create a world is nothing. It's a snap of the fingers. It's like 36 psukim. But for us to create a home for him, that's many, many parshios in the Torah. To create a mishkan in this world, to, to say there's a place for you in our lives, to bring him in, that's the hardest thing in the world. Can I share with you a secret? Everybody here knows the secret, but can I share it with you just in a way that just to remind ourselves? We think of joy as having occurred when there's a level of completion. It's not true. Joy is what occurs when you find completion within the incompletion. I'll explain what I mean. Joy, for the, joy is what occurs when you find the completion within the incompletion. Let's say, let's say your husband is behaving inappropriately. And he's not acting in a nice way. And he's violating your boundaries. That's a place of incompletion. That's a place of brokenness. That's a very painful place to be. But there's a secret that's embedded in there. The secret is that there's a process of self-discovery, of learning, I'm okay when things are not okay around me. I'm whole and I'm complete. As all the things around me in my life are incomplete, there's a level of completion that we find, a wholeness within the brokenness. Exactly. And that's the greatest joy that a person can find. Because joy is a natural state of being. It's when the external circumstances no longer define who I am. And here's the crazy part. We can only find out who we are when all the things around us shatter. And that's why all the things around us are always shattering. 
You ever feel like it uh, wasn't supposed to go this way? You ever have an experience like that where you're like looking at your life and you're like... Wait, can you just repeat that again? When, when, when everything around you shatters... When everything around you shatters is when you find out who you are. That's the completion within the incompletion. My marriage is a disaster. I'm not saying mine. I'm saying in general. Let's say a person said, my marriage is a disaster. And it turns out that I found new dimensions of self within that disaster. It turns out I'm okay even when somebody's really upset and frustrated or really not okay or behaving in an inappropriate way. Let's do it with our kids. It's easier. Because it is in some ways, right? I I would hope so. I want you to know, I I agree with you so much, and I said to this boy just now, I said, I want you to know there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no light at the end of this tunnel. But the light is that you're okay in the dark. But there's no no, like, this is going to be okay, there's no silver lining. And you know why there's, you know why people do that? You know why we give people a silver lining? Because it's safe for us. I can't hold your emotion. I can't be okay if you're not okay. I don't want to have the vulnerability of going into myself to feel along with you. Because I can feel that pain if I'll be honest with myself. But I don't want to do that. So I'll just say it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. It's not. And it's okay that it doesn't get better because you're okay within this shattered reality in which we're living. Does that make sense? That's a, that's a hard thing to learn. Do it with your children, right? If you have a kid that goes off the derech, you know what parents learn? Being a parent doesn't define me. It's not the only thing in my life. It's a mission, it's a value, it's, it's one of the things I've dedicated myself to, but the success or lack thereof of my children does not define who I am. In fact, it's probably the need for my kid to be in a particular way that may have caused that kid to be in a particular way. And so there's, there's a process of self-discovery that comes from this shattering that's happening around us. If, if let's say I need, let's play it out. Let's say I, I need my child to be an Orthodox Jew. I, I need my child to be an Orthodox Jew. And now they're not. And they stop keeping Shabbos. Chas And it's, it's a, it, it bothers me. It's like it's, you, parents start asking, where did I go wrong? That kid has Bechira. That kid's allowed to make a choice. But the process of self-discovery there is it's okay for that child to make choices that they're making that might be really painful because it's against the values that I have. But I am not a bad parent and I am not a bad person because my child made choices that are different from my value system. And from that place that I'm okay and I'm enough, now I can share so much love with that person. Because I don't need you to be any way that you're not anymore. I'm okay for me, and I can share that okayness with you. And that's an amazing thing, no? To have that space, to have that, like, to be able to be okay with the choices that other people are making, because it's okay if everything is shattering around me, because I'm a port in the storm, I'm that lighthouse. It's almost like you stop being selfish and become selfless by doing that. Right. But what if you really were thinking? I mean, just, I mean... I'll be honest, in my experience, it's never that black and white. I've never once met a person that you can point to any one event in their life and say it happened because of that one event. But let's say you were. 
right? Let's say, let's say you did things as a parent that you're not proud of. And now a lot of shatterings are happening around you and the process of self-discovery is going on. And as part of that process, you become okay with yourself. And then you say, you know what? There are things I have to own. Is it then possible, not to fix, because I can't necessarily fix, but I can make amends. And so many, many years ago, I had a father who stopped speaking to his son. And it was a very complex relationship. And I said to the father, because the son was married at that time, I said, how far are you willing to take this? Would you not go to your son's, if he's making a bris, would you not go? Because the son was demanding that his father make an apology for a lot of the harm that his father really had caused. And his father said, I would not go to the bris. And the father wasn't willing. To... The father was unwilling to go to the bris. And, and, and the father said, in my generation, parents don't apologize to children. And he was in so much pain, there was no room for me to speak. But what I wanted to say to him was, and look what that hath wrought. No, because I'm, I'm, I'm not so good. With, I'm good at talking about vulnerability, but not so good at doing it. The, uh, no, I'm joking. It was just, he, wasn't, he was certainly not in a place to, to hear it. No, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that vibe. It wasn't that, he was just so hurt, he needed a place to put it. I was trying to show him, like, you really want to be that right over here? Like, you really want to stand on that principle? Please. I'm a parent who went through a lot of this. Well. And there is something that I feel is wrong in our society. Parents have to always apologize to anything. Right. And I'm sorry. Right. I think there are boundaries and there are ways. And I think too many people are getting up and empowering our young people that us parents who deserve respect and who should get respect have to always apologize and be like, and bow down, and right. bow down, and bow down. Right. What happened to the covenant for the parents? What happened to the people of age? What happened to the, to the mouth of whom the parents are? Right. It's gone. Right. And we have to feel bad if we don't apologize. Right. I, I want you to know, I, I so appreciate what you're saying. I so appreciate what you're saying. First of all, because of the vulnerability of it and the real openness. And I, I love that there must be a culture here that was created that allowed you to say that. This is the last day. Yeah. We've all let I support the parents. Wow. Wow. And we need to be empowered also. Right. It's just not fair. Can I share something with you? Please. I just married off a daughter. When I, when I, say, when I say just, I mean like two weeks ago. Yeah. I look much younger than I am, right? Isn't that nice? I hope that it stays this way for a minute. Yeah, you thought I was in my 20s. That's so nice of you. Uh, this is my oldest daughter, yeah. Thank you very much. I know that she cannot possibly appreciate what I've done for her in her life. I know that. And I'm hopeful that she learns it soon. And I'm waiting with bated breath for her to come back to me and go, Abba, I never realized how much you did for us. I, I know she's a big girl now. I know she's married and she's a woman and all that. But like, also, she's still a kid. And, and remember when we were all kids thinking that we had it figured out? Remember when you first... Oh, yeah. Right? You remember that disaster? The, um, so as, as big as she is and as much of an adult as she is and as much of an adult that, as he is, and he's an awesome boy, and I'm so proud of both of them, they have no idea what we did for them. And they can't. Because a teenager, by their very nature, they're, they're terrified. Kids are terrified. terrified. They're terrified. The coolest kids, the ones who seem to have it the most figured out, are the most afraid. They're the ones that need the most help. 
I said it this summer to one of the boys. I said, because he was the coolest kid in camp. In camp of 400 kids. He was the, by far the best ball player, by far the, like, the man. I said, it's terrifying being on that pedestal. You could be knocked off at any moment. And he was like, you're right. Like, that he lives with an existential fear of, if I'm not awesome all the time, who am I? I think you're 100% right. I love what you said, that parents need to create boundaries, and I don't think we should be worshiping our children. I think that's bad parenting. I think maybe the distinction between what I said and what you said, which is, I think what you said is beautiful and wonderful and awesome, and we should take it with us. But I think, I think real parenting does sometimes mean owning our mistakes. And it doesn't mean owning things that are not our mistakes. But if, let's say I, let's say I came home from work, and I'm exhausted, and I'm in a place, and my kid comes over to me, and being insensitive, and not giving Abba the time to even walk in the door, comes over to me and says, Abba, I need money for this. Right? And let's say I snap, which is human and understandable and normal. And let's say I go, when I walk in the door, please give me some space, which is a very normal thing to do. But let's say I don't even say it that nicely. I'll go, can you stop? Let's say I said something like that, right? Which is not nice. Can I own that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I can come to that daughter and I can show her, because I have five daughters and one son. And my son is six. So yeah, I have six daughters, basically. So the... Um, <laughs> I think there's something beautiful and healthy and wonderful about me coming to that kid and saying, I want to role model what it looks like to be imperfect and to be okay with imperfection and to own that and to acknowledge that and to therefore give you the skills to do that yourself. And it doesn't mean that we're serving our kids. And yes, I think a child who sees the parent who's so honest, so authentic and can own their mistakes, I think that kid will really give that cover. And as parents, we should say, this is, we should in a certain way, I don't mean, I'm going to use the word demand, I don't mean it as demand, but I do think you're right, that there should be a avira in the home of, I'm a parent, you're a child, and there is a difference. And there's something, like you see a lot of kids today will say, I'm not going to do this until I understand why. When you become an adult, you realize, I have no idea why anything happens, right? And sometimes there's value in saying, you know more than me, and I'm, and I'm machnia myself to you. And it's true, I think in earlier generations, that's, they had more of that, and maybe we need to do a better job of that. But I don't know if it's a contradiction, what you and I said. I don't think. I have to think about what you said, too. I'll take it with me. Would you mind finishing this sentence? You said something about how somebody's marriage is a disaster, but they found that... They found themselves within it. They found... Themselves. Within the disaster? Because we're not defined by any of the disasters that happen in our lives. A person, Chas goes through a tragic illness. And you know what they learn? I'm more than my illness. A family goes through an illness. A family goes through Chas a death. And we learn that we're more than all of the worst things that happened to us. And we could never have learned it without that chattering. Uh, a chavra of mine, I don't want to say his name, but I'm confident that many of you in this room have heard of him. He's a, a person who lost his leg to cancer when he was a child. And he's, he's very famous today, and, and he dances for a living. And it, if you know him, you know him, and if you don't, you don't. But he told me, he lost both of his parents, one to Lou Gehrig's disease, another one of his parents to cancer. And he said to me, I know within 30 seconds of meeting a person if they've suffered. Because if you've suffered, it changes you. you it forces you to go through a process of, Hineni, this is who I am. 
the, the joy of completion is not everything is perfect. The joy of completion is I found completion within all of the incompletion of our world. That's why Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't desire a perfect world. He desires to be found within an imperfect world. He desires, God desires for us to find Him, to, to find ourselves in a certain way, within all of the insanity that happens in this world. And by the way, you see it here in this country very much. We have a terror attack, and it's tragic. This country mourns together. It's one of the most beautiful things about this country. It doesn't matter, Haredi, Chiloni, Datilumi, Chardal. It doesn't matter who you are. When something tragic happens, every one of us feels it. It's an amazing thing. We all fight with each other until they start fighting with us, and then it's you know, like siblings, we go like, who are you to fight with him? And then we all stand up together. We're very childish that way. We're a very childish nation. But the reason that we're able to survive these, and there was just another one, right? It's just another crazy terror attack. How are we able to survive this? It's because we know that with all of the shatterings that are happening around us, there's a completion that's being discovered within. The fact that we're in this room, Let's, just for a moment, right? I'm not, I'm not making any big pitches, nothing political. I just want to say, if we all just took one step this way and looked the, out that window, right? What we would see is unfathomable in the history of the world. And it's not because we had so much loss in the 40s that now we got this, no. But it's the, the joy of what we're experiencing, this, the unfolding of this completion as Mashiach is coming, it was born of the shattering that happened earlier in the Holocaust. I'm not saying, people say, you don't want to say the state of Israel was born from the Holocaust. It's true. But, there's a completion that comes from the incompletion. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's the last secret. The last secret goes as follows. The reason why we don't want to go in the direction that we're going, to find the completion within the incompletion, is because we're not okay with the vulnerability of incompletion. That's the, that's the big move. Can I say that again? Yes, no worries. The reason why we're not okay finding the completion within the incompletion is because we don't want to acknowledge our incompletion. It's really hard to say, I'm struggling in my marriage. It's really hard to say that. It's really hard to say, I feel like we just keep missing each other, and it's been years, and I feel like we're not connected. It's really hard to say, I have a kid... And he or she is just, they're not my kid. It's just, they're not my favorite. They drive me crazy. It's really hard to say that. It's hard to acknowledge that pain. It's hard to acknowledge the pain of this is where I've reached in my career and I'll probably go no further. It's really hard for, I, I counsel a lot of single girls, it's really hard for a single girl to say, I have these inner negative beliefs that I'm not enough and I'm dating and it's being confirmed every day. I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I don't come from the perfect family. It's really hard for us to acknowledge the truth of our incompletion. Yeah, the truth of our humanity. Yeah, because we are incomplete by our very nature. We are alone and we're good enough to be alone, but we'd like to share our lives with another, and that means I am incomplete. Well, basically I'm enough. Yeah, it's hard to be able to say I'm, you can't say I'm enough if you don't recognize first, maybe I'm not. Because you have to first be able to recognize there are parts of me that I really don't like. Parts of me that I'm deeply ashamed of. That if you would only know, I'd be unworthy of love and connection because you'd be like, really, you did that? You're a piece of garbage. Now, nobody else would say that about us, but we say it to ourselves all the time. 
we have these, and shame is natural. We have these voices of shame inside of us. So in order to come to a place of I am enough, you first have to be willing to encounter the I'm not enough. And then to say, within that voice, yes, I am. That's a really hard thing to do. And so most of us will just avoid the issue entirely. And we'll act as if everything is fine. In young couples, it's called infatuation. (laughs) Infatuation means I've made you out to be perfect, and I'll pretend to be perfect, because the risk of you being imperfect is terrifying. And I certainly wouldn't want to tell you who I am. You get this a lot of times. A guy will come to me and he'll go, do I have to tell her what I did in high school? So I say back to him, would you want to marry her if you can't? If you can't tell her, and I'm not saying you have to, but if there's something you can't go to her and be honest about, are you really sharing yourself in that relationship? Or are you just hiding? Do you really want to marry somebody that you feel you have to hide from? And I'll tell you, it's amazing. Kids today are getting better and better at this. And they're being born into a culture, which Anachanami is not perfect, and maybe that's beautiful, but they're so much better at being able to say, here's my parts, and here's what I'm not so proud of. And I'm okay within that, and I'm enough for myself, and I just want to share with you who I am and what my challenges are. I think it's because there's so many kids who have gone off, had problems, needed mental health care, needed whatever problems they needed. There's there's a critical mass now. We're not all the perfect fucker in yeshiva, yeah. you know, that it's being talked about, it's been in conversation already. And if you think about what you just said, which I 100% agree with, how awesome was the shattering then? All the pain of all those people that yielded a culture of, one second, it's okay for us not to be the perfect bacher. It's okay for us not to have the perfect resume. They wrote an article in Mishpacha magazine a couple, I think maybe a couple months ago already. It was awesome. It was an article about yeah. obesity and shaduchim. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Do you know how, do you know how, many, do you know how many people are saying like, no, you have to be the perfect size. You know how many girls are crushed? I'm sure you know. by Because by, I, I get this all the time from Tommy Doe. Like, it's not going to be okay. And it's, it creates this, this world of anorexia and bulimia and, and weight issues. And, and we live in a world now where somebody could write that article in Mishpacha and everyone goes, thank you for saying it. But it broke a, it broke a, ba- a barrier. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was like a one-of-a-kind. Right. And, and, and Baruch Hashem, from that shattering, there's new completion that's coming, and we've discovered new language, and it's a beautiful thing. And of course, there'll be negative impact, but we'll, we'll deal with the negative impact also. We'll find the completion within that negative impact, and, and it's left foot, right foot. That's how we move, traction in this world. So we go a little bit this way, a little bit that way. So just to tie that back into Purim, before we do, yes. You hear every now and then about that unusual, amazing Rebbe, or that unusual, amazing teacher. Mm-hmm. The, one, the ones that are one and only, because they let me know that, in their opinion, your, imperfection, your, your imperfections are beautiful anyway. Right. And uh, there are one and only in the band. Think of one in particular who's just world renowned for his unusual way of looking at a comedy. You're talking about Rabbi Kalish? Rabbi Kalish is that when he's looking at a complete and total mess, he will find. He doesn't see the mess. He doesn't notice that there's a mess. He finds. He doesn't see the mess. 
that's not fitting with this. No, it fits exactly with this. Because, first of all, I, I want you to know, I, 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 I grew up a block away from him. And when I was in yeshiva, when I was in eighth grade, I used to learn in the base medrash in yeshiva Rockway, and there was this like world-renowned, back then, not for being the person he is today, but this huge budding tamachachim, you know, Danny Kay, who was this amazing athlete, and like everybody looked up to him. So I've been looking up to him before he was cool, you know, like I, or before he was, before he was well-known anyway. Um, it's exactly that. He tells the boys, you can acknowledge anything that's happening in your life, and you can say, here's, the, here's all this stuff that's happening, because it doesn't define you. Because you're fine within all of that. And the reason why he's so magnetic, and the reason why he's so attractive, and it's not just for those boys, by the way. His shiurim are being downloaded left and right, and everybody's listening to them, because it's the Torah of this generation. It's, and I want you to know, I, I listen to a lot of his shiurim, but not because I want the content, but just because I love the way he calls out the boys' names when he's giving the shiur. And he's like, Nu Eli, what are you taina? I love having you in cheer today. And he's authentic about it. If, if there was a shemitz of a lie, everybody would pick up on it. Because you can't do that. You can't be that courageous if it's a lie, right? And he really does say to them, I want you to know that whatever you're going through, you're fine and I'm with you and that's okay. And so it's, it's really not denying the fact that there's stuff going on around you, but he'll never tell you that you're a mess. Because you're not a mess. It doesn't define you. There's the completion within all the stuff that's happening around you. I, but Rebbe, I struggled with this. If you'd only know where I was last night, but say there. I know all of those things. And it doesn't matter. That means that, that we're just saying the neshama of a person is the completion because that, let's say that kid's such a mess, they haven't, reached, they haven't worked through their incompletion, reached completion, and they're still in a complete state of incompletion. So we're just saying that the neshama itself is the completion. Right. Exactly right. Meaning, ultimately what the world is coming to, and I believe this on so many levels, even with chat GPT, Right? We're going to ask ourselves the question, what is a human being? ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence that now nobody's going to have to do any more work ever. Like Computer coders just put in the question that writes the computer code. College kids are write, saying, write my essays. High schools are banning it left and right. But Lamaisa, it's, it's here and it's, and it's coming and it's going to get better. And so people are going to ask themselves the question, if ChatGPT, what am I worth? Exactly. What can I do different than a computer? If anything, the computer is going to be better than me. The world is arriving at this point, which is exactly, I believe, what Mashiach needs in order to come, of you're defined by your neshama, nothing else. You're not defined by your body. You're not defined by how many possessions you have. You're not even defined by your lived values. People are like, okay, but I have this value that I want to serve Hashem, but I'm not doing it. I'm not davening as well as I should have or at all. Right? I'm not doing it. But even that doesn't define you. Because even that's just an expression and a manifestation. And within that lack of davening, you'll discover amazing things about yourself. Because it'll bother you that you're not davening. And then you'll go, turns out davening is important to me. But maybe not so important to me that I'm going to have kavana yet. And maybe it's okay to say, I struggle with davening. And then from within that struggle to find your specific davening, which is also a beautiful davening. And maybe a better davening because it's your davening. You have guys in yeshiva that they come and they're like, I'm not built for yeshiva. A guy came to me yesterday. He's not built for yeshiva. It's not his fault. He's suffering tremendously in his life. He's not built for yeshiva. I told him, it's not a failure for you to go home. It's, you, you, have a, you have a place in our community. It's not a failure for you. You could also learn. You could also daven. But you are, by your nature, a Baal Chesed. Let's get you on a path to do Chesed. And he's just struggling because he's like, but I don't want to be seen as the failure. I'm like, you're not. And you have to come to terms with that within, within yourself. That's right. But he wants to find it. That's what's critical. And if he doesn't, that'll also be okay. He wants to find 
he wants to find his place. This kid is an amazing Balchasid. You just see it, he lights up. You talk about working with Yachad, with Friendship Circle, he comes alive. You say, open up a black Amara, he, he shuts down. It's not his fault. I have a kid like that. Yeah, it's not his fault. He's an awesome kid. He's an awesome kid. Yeah, he's just, that's, we, we made this box and then we told everyone, fit in this. And it's, it's, it's not fair to these kids. There's a level of vulnerability of saying, I'm not, I'm not for that. But how do you transmit to them that it's okay, like you're okay, even if the world around you is telling you you're not? First of all, you have to believe it, right? If you say, if you say it and you don't believe it, the kid who you're talking to, they hear it. Yeah, but say you do believe it. But you know what? Say it. Your job as a parent is to say it, and their job, when they're ready, is to be macabre. All we do is we, we put something, and then we give it time for it to go in. But yeah, if you really believe it and you live that out and your kid hears it from you, eventually they... My mo- I'll tell you, I was expelled from school in fifth grade. It's not so bad. It's not so bad, I promise you. I survived, yeah? I knew, I knew that no schools wanted me. I knew it. When you get thrown out of school, schools are not running to take you. Two schools in the neighborhood did, back in the 80s. Rabbi Bender from Darche. Everyone goes, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and Rabbi Hertzberg, who was the Rosh Hashiva of South Shore, who they just published the book about him. They were willing to take me, and I want you to know, even if I hadn't gone to Darche or South Shore, and I ended up going to Darche, even if they hadn't taken me, the fact that there were two people out there that said, we'll take you, it means to me now, like, yeah, they really authentically believed that I was okay. And they didn't have to take me, and it would be understandable. I was a kid coming from a completely different family, from the values that they espoused. My, the, the, in Barche, they were preaching anti-television. My father was the president of a marketing company, and not a small marketing company. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it didn't jive, but it worked beautifully. So you really have to live it. You really have to communicate it. And by the way, there was a long time, if I'm being honest with you, that I held that story of I'm not enough and I'm not okay. And... It was only those voices of Rabbi Hertzberg and Rabbi Bender that eventually, when I was older, I was able to draw from the wellspring of those voices. No, yeah. I, I was just telling somebody the story today that when I was in fourth grade, that sounds insane, the teacher gave out the tests in mark order, in descending order. So yours truly always got his back last. And one year, my one week, my father decided, no matter what, no matter where, I am going to get my test back within the first ten people. And, and it was like going in one year, way the other. But I said, okay, I could do this. And I took the test, and I came home, and I said, Ta, I think I did it. And then she gave, a few days later, she gives out the test, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm dying a thousand deaths. And she hands me back the paper list with a 95 on it, and I said to her. Why did I get a left? I thought you'd be used to it already. <laughs> now, do you know that about 20 years later, it sounds crazy, I was married with three kids. I was in Lomans. I'll never forget the old Lomans on whatever street it was in Flatbush. Right, and I met her. I saw her. I had such PTSD. Yeah. I, I had to leave. I had to three of my kids and leave the store. And now I'm Baruch Hashem. Almost a great-grandmother. Almost a great-grandmother, Baruch Hashem. Wow. And I, it still haunts me. Right. Can I just say something? We don't have to make it better. Right. 
It's okay for it to not be okay. No, it's okay for it, but I'm saying, like, it's okay for it to, no, but I've obviously yeah. gone past that moment, but it, it's like, sometimes I go back, I'm telling you, literally, I've gotten, yeah, yeah, well, I think today. You so obviously. Right, no, so I've gotten way past it, because I'm, right, like, I'm learning about Terry, right, but... But, but, but I was never that. a good student again till the till the day I graduated high school. I called it a day, I majored in fun, I lived in the principal's office, and that was it. I never never tried to study again for a test. And now you're teaching And now I teach. <laughs> the walking wounded teachers of the world, right? Well, well, yeah, I teach, I teach women, but I, yes. But the walking, oh, that's very good. Yeah. Well, so many people who go through challenges end up, when they heal, helping people who are going through the same challenge. Because we know. I, I, think, I think that that type of what you described as PTSD is, I think it makes so much sense, because it sounds like so much of your story for your early years in your education was born from that place of I'm not enough, and I'm, I'm the end. I, I want to share with you the grandson of the person who threw me out of school yeah. was in my shear. Oh, wow. And he's wow. a great kid. And I, and I really... It was in the summer, so I didn't have such a deep relationship with him, but, like, he's a great kid. And I told my mother that he was in my shear. And my mother's like... And not from, like, an angry place, like, more of, like, a joke. She was like, do you, like, do you throw him out? <laughs> <laughs> and I told my mom, I said, Mom, the best revenge is if this kid really becomes my Talmud and goes back to his grandfather and says, you know, that Mordechai Berg is my Rebbe, you know? But I don't want, I don't really, I don't, I'm joking, but I don't want it from a place of revenge. That, that principle did, frankly, I was a crazy kid, probably deserved to get thrown out of school. I'm not even, to, like, I, I have no animus towards him because I can own that story now, but but the truth of the matter is, I'm so grateful that it happened because had that not happened, I definitely would not be here talking to you. I, I don't know that I could have found within myself a place to be okay if I wasn't okay. You have to be not okay first. And that takes tremendous courage to not be okay. Nobody's okay, really. Right? Nobody's okay, really, really. Like everyone's walking around in a tremendous amount of unacknowledged pain. In, in relationships, in, 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 in everything. There's so much pain in the world. We've created beautiful chesed organizations to help people, but at the end of the day, people very often are an island, unwilling to say, hey, this is what's happening in my life. I don't even want to acknowledge it, let alone to tell it to somebody else. If you can, if you can acknowledge that pain and you could say, I really feel like I'm not okay, then you get the antibodies to that, which is, wait, I am. And that's an awesome discovery. You mean just the process of acknowledgement. Just, if you acknowledge the pain, that's step one. And then within that pain, you discover, oh, no, I am okay. And, it, and it's horrific what's happening around me. And I'm really in a tremendous amount of pain. But I am still that lighthouse. And just because there's the storm doesn't mean that I've been knocked over. But sometimes it could take, like I said, it took almost 40 years. Maybe a lifetime. Over her. But I'm saying it literally took me from fourth grade till the age of 55 to like feel that I'm enough in, 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 in a scholastic situation, I'm saying, in, in that kind of thing. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with the fact that it took you 40 years? I guess nothing. Right. It's okay. We're all on a journey. I hope that by the time I'm in my 80s, 90s, whatever it is, I hope that I'll be able to say I'm okay. I'm working on it. I'm moving towards it. But it's a Lifetime Achievement Award to be able to say I'm enough. If we were so in tune with our souls, it would already be done. The fact that I'm still on this journey is because 
I'm still not okay. I'm just working on being okay now. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, yeah, you can say it, please. I had a client last week. I was blown away by this client. I don't know why they needed to see me because I think they're awesome by themselves. Like they didn't need any help. And this client had gone through a tremendous amount. But clearly there was a level of deep authenticity that had been developed from all they went through. And they said this very from thing. And I get nervous when people say from things. They said, God didn't do this to me. He did it for me. And I pushed back, because I, I don't like that stuff. Because I, I think that's ignoring the pain. And I said, I'm with you, but does, like, are you real about that? And they said back, they're like, no, no, no. It, it's, an, it's something that's not just like a random from thing. I'm very aware of the pain that I'm in, and I hold this belief to be really dear. And I was blown away. I was like, you should be, like, I should be paying you. Because I saw the level of authenticity that they had discovered within this journey of a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah. Couple things. First of all, my, my son was in elementary school. He had a Rebbe. I don't remember the details, but it was so bad. I said, if you don't switch, I'm going to switch in the schools. Right. X number of years later, I get a phone call from my son. So, is this here? I asked this Rebbe, whatever it is, and I'm calling to ask him. Wow. Wow. I, I, I would have known better now how to handle the situation, and I didn't know then, and I want to ask him to uh, wow. answer his son around. I said, I'll tell him. He's going to say today. Wow. The other thing I want to say, which I think is a major problem in the boys' yeshivas, is if you're not going into Kriya, and you're not that, you're not good enough. Right. And that's a very bad Shiva's are there. I, I just I want to respond. I, I just want to respond to what you said. The, the first thing that you said was such a beautiful story because it probably took a lot of courage for that Rebbe to acknowledge that he wasn't the Rebbe that he needed to be, and to, it took a lot of courage for that Rebbe to make that phone call and to say, "I've learned, and I owe this person mechila." So I'm a real admirer of that Rebbe, that, and he really did cause harm, and that's real. But the fact that he was willing to say, I'm sorry, the fact that he was willing to do his best to make amends, I think is beautiful. The, the second thing, I think, I hope it's getting better. I think it's getting better. I think that less boys today are being told that they have to become Rashi Yeshiva or even go into Chinuch. But I think your, your point that's underlying that, which is so important, is do we give space for all of our children, our Talmidim, our Talmidot, do we give space for everybody to be able to Explore the path that they want to have in life. We get a little bit older and we it's discover the girls than the it's easier. I don't know. I'll tell you. I teach both. It's a completely different set of circumstances. There's one set of pressures on this side and another set of pressures on that side. I don't know easier, but I do know this. What you're saying is so profound because you're saying 
let these people discover who they are. Let them be that. What I'm saying is in Baltimore, there's a yeshiva in Israel, and there's yeshiva lane. I'm familiar. So, yeah. I didn't go, but I, I know the lane. There are many, you know, obviously many children are growing up. That's like one of my friends said. Much, this is why I was saying what I said. It's much easier to be a girl in yeshiva lane than a boy, because a boy, you don't show up for shoppers, everybody knows he didn't show up. You don't mm-hmm. show up for night seder, everybody on the campus knows not. And the girls have a lot more leeway. So that's what I'm saying. In, in yeah, I'm just, I, I try to defend the girls also because it's well, the girl, the right, the girl who's not exactly perfect in the way that they're dressed, doesn't pass the SNES police, the person constantly being looked at, constantly being evaluated, growing up in an environment where they're told there's a shidduch crisis, and if they're not exactly perfect, you know, if God forbid you turn 21, you know, like, it's like you're 80, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard on both sides. I, I tell you what, let me, if, if you don't mind that, just because I think we're running out of time, and I think the fact that he's here tells us we're running out of time. <laughs> so I just want to finish up the, the sheer point. At least we should tie it back into Purim. Adalo Yada means getting rid of your das, because sometimes our minds get in the way of what we know to be true. Sometimes we have to suppress the intellect a little bit to allow the truth to evolve and to come up from within. At the end of the day, lahashmid, laharog, laabed, at the end of the day, we were about to be destroyed. The feeling a Jew has is not relief. We were about to be destroyed. We remain servants of Achashverosh. We're besimcha. Because within that process of we were about to be destroyed, we discovered, no, we're not. We're not about to be destroyed. There's no, there's no fairy tale ending to the story of Purim. There's no it's perfect at the end. At the end, it's imperfect, and it's the most joyous that it could possibly be. Because we discovered exactly who we are. We're beloved by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the part of us that's infinite will never be destroyed. I think that's our avoda, and I, I just want to say, um, it's clear to me that this is a group of people that are so deeply working on themselves. We just spent, come out an hour together. We're, I don't know if you felt it. This, for me, this was incredible. Listening to you, hearing the questions you were clearly successful in your mission. You, to bring together a group of people to say, let's be growth-oriented, let's be mechazek ourselves. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a privilege to be here.